I'm Keith MacArthur. Unlocking Bryson's Brain is a podcast about my son, (laughs) the rare disease that keeps him from walking or talking. I mean, Bryson's perfect, but his life is really hard. And our family's search for a cure. Oh my gosh, maybe science is ready for this. It's part memoir, part medical mystery. We can do just about anything. Modifying DNA. My heart and my throat. Cure is controversial. Unlocking Bryson's Brain. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Coming up on The Cost of Living. Honestly, I think it is a cash grab because a lot of the things that people dry clean can really be like taken care of in other ways. Cut to a dry cleaner saying, what? Of course you should dry clean that. But it's also not cheap. So is it worth the money? Hi, I'm Paul Haverschrud. Welcome to The Cost of Living, and Happy New Year. To ring in 2024, we're revisiting some of the questions you asked and the answers we found. Like the mysteries of dry cleaning. Is it money well spent? Or should you roll the dice and throw that cashmere sweater in the wash? You also asked about shipping costs. It can be more expensive to mail stuff from Saskatoon than it is from Shanghai. How is that even possible? And you had a question about reward points. Why is it so tough to figure out how many it actually takes to fly somewhere? Finally, a listener in Halifax wondered about inflation. The numbers show it's cooling off. So why doesn't it feel that way? Our first question comes from Neil Pittman in Quebec. He wonders... If I buy things uh, off of eBay for $5 or something from China, uh, the shipping is 50 cents or something, some very small number. Whereas if I buy it from the US, from Canada, from the next province, from the same province, it could be like $20. So, So I guess my question is... Why does it cost so little to get from China when China is so much further away than than Toronto? Tracy Johnson, our senior postal correspondent, looked into this for Neil. Hey, Trace. Hey. Okay. The answer to Neil's question, it's both simple and complex. Because the simple answer is yes, it is less expensive to ship things from China to Canada than it is to ship within Canada. But there is quite a backstory to it, Paul, and it is a backstory that starts in 1874. Oh, is that it? Yeah. So, you know, around 150 years ago, shipping anything around the world was complicated. If you wanted to, say, mail a letter from Canada to Vienna, That letter would first have to make its way to a port in Canada, then across the ocean 
through multiple European countries, all with their own postal services and their own currencies. And Canada would have to pay each country to carry that letter. So say it landed in France or the Netherlands. It would then have to make its way through Prussia before it got to Austria. We'd have to pay each country. Well, you know, of course, you can see the cost mount up. That Prussian postal service notorious. <laughs> exactly. Always on time, but expensive. <laughs> So, I mean, the moral of the story is that mail was a giant pain in the butt back then. And the world was changing. There was more migration. There was more mail being sent. So in 1874, the nations of the world got together in Bern, Switzerland, and they came up with what is now called the Universal Postal Union. Okay. And... What did that do? So all of the countries agreed to carry each other's letters for free. So Canada Post would deliver letters sent from the United States, and the U.S. would deliver letters that were sent from Canada. And it was all assumed that it would come out in the wash. And this was not for heavy stuff. This was for letters and small parcels under around four pounds. And it worked really well for nearly 100 years. But then? But then there started to be some imbalances, and I have an example for you. Italians got a lot of international magazine subscriptions. Magazines are heavy. You know, they have that heavy paper. And Italian postmen were hauling all of these magazines around the country, delivering them to people's homes. But Italy didn't send magazines out of the country, so there was a weight imbalance. And Italy was annoyed. They're like, we are delivering so much more heavy stuff than we're sending. So in the late 60s, all of the countries got together and said, okay, if you are delivering more international mail than you're sending, you should be paid for the difference. The amount that they decided on, one half of one gold franc per kilogram of international mail. I love that they're getting paid in gold francs. Yeah. It's about 0.15 of a gram of gold. That's a half a gold franc. Okay. So we've got gold francs changing hands, you know, maybe the odd doubloon. <laughs> How did this system work? So the, it, there was a little bit of a complication within that because not every country could afford half a gold franc per kilo. So maybe the United States could or Canada or even Italy. But there were also countries with mail, like with developing economies, like somewhere in Africa or Asia. On the one hand, what we seek to achieve is compensation cost-covering compensation for the delivery operator. But there are also objectives of um, around affordability. That is Paul Schorl. He is with the Universal Postal Union. I talked to him from Bern, Switzerland, which is still the center of the postal world. The central idea is that any citizen or business should be able to send mail packages through the UPU Global Postal Network to any destination. So thereby connecting any citizen or business from one location with a citizen or a business on, in a other location somewhere else on, uh, on Earth. He sounds exactly what I imagined a Swiss postmaster would sound like. He takes his mail very, very seriously. And what Paul told me is that the goal was equality. You know, everyone should be able to send mail around the world. So what the UPU did is it set up a fee schedule where uh, richer countries would pay more to have their international mail delivered than countries that had developing economies. And back in 1969, China was considered a country with a developing economy. And that is why China Post charges less for international mail than Canada Post does for domestic mail. 
So, bam, mic drop. That's the answer. That is the answer, but it is not the end of the story, Paul, because in the 2000s, e-commerce started to take off globally. And that meant that Chinese e-commerce companies like Alibaba had this amazing competitive advantage in which they could mail something to North America very, very cheaply, less than you could ship something within North America. And this is what Neil wants to know. How can it possibly be cheaper to get something sent from... Well, Shanghai versus Saskatoon. Right. And the imbalance becomes a bigger issue as we buy more and more consumer products from China. Canada Post and the U.S. Postal Service are delivering all these packages, not being compensated particularly well for it. And then in 2018, U.S. President Trump gets wind of it. He threatens to pull out of the UPU. He said, you know what? The United States, we want to set the rates we charge to China Post. And if you don't let us do it, we're going to pull out of the UPU. And he essentially wins this fight. The U.S. negotiates a deal where it does remain in the UPU, but it gets the power to immediately increase the rates that it charges to China and other developing countries uh, to deliver their mail within the U.S. So kind of classic Trump. Mm -hmm. Was this renegotiation just for the U.S.? So other countries like Canada were part of the negotiation. But because the U.S. is the most important country in the postal world, they got the biggest concessions. So Canada can and has also increased rates, but much more slowly over time. And I spoke with a postal expert in Denmark about this. His name is Mendagas Serpikin, and he is an economist who studies the postal system. I reached him in Copenhagen. The U.S. Um, uh, was allowed to raise um, its fees, uh, and uh, they were allowed to do it faster than other industrialized countries. Um, other industrialized countries can also update their fees and are doing that uh, within the given limits of about 16% um, annual increase. And, uh, well, 16% may sound like a lot, uh, but uh, one must, must consider that uh, uh, some countries, um, like Canada, I uh, need between uh, 200 400% increase to close the gap uh, between domestic rates and international rates. So in 2021, Canada started to increase the fees that it charges countries like China by 16% a year. But I'm going to do a little bit of math here. So let's say, hypothetically, we charge China $1 to mail a package to Canada. You know, after 2021, we could charge them a buck 16. And then the next year, that can go up another 16%, you know, a buck 35 or 36. But Canada Post, you know, according to the sort of unofficial math, charges Canadians like, you know, four bucks to mail the same package. So you can see it's going to take a really long time before the fees become comparable. And this is why, even though it seems wild that you can ship something all the way across the Pacific Ocean for cheaper than sending something like a province away. Mm -hmm. It means that countries like China will continue to have cheaper delivery costs for quite some time. Well, thanks, Tracy and Neil. Thank you again for the question. Yeah, no, really, Neil, thank you, because we learned some things today. This is a best of edition of The Cost of Living. I'm Paul Haberschrud. In honor of our next question, a quick joke. How much fun is doing the laundry? Loads. Ba-dum-bump. Cha. That's for Michelle Rigby in Truro, Nova Scotia, who asks, 
it's really expensive to send clothes to dry cleaner, and so I'm wondering if it's really worth the cost, and uh, does it actually extend the life of your clothes? And I have another question, too, kind of along the same lines. Is Do you really need to dry clean when the tag says you should? Never want to shrink away from a question? The ever-stylish Danielle Nerman is here with an answer. When was the last time you washed that dusty rose cashmere cardigan? If the answer is never, that could be why it's looking a tad shabby. If you walk out in, in anywhere in the city, the air is filled with all kinds of particles. And those particles land on your jacket, on your dress, and they eat away at the material. Sidney Chelsky was in the dry cleaning business for more than 50 years. He says if you want your delicates to last, you have to clean them often. Those clothes are an investment. You want them to last as long as possible. And if you don't do certain things to maintain it, you're going to lose your investment. Sydney is also the executive director of the Canadian Fabricare Association. He says some materials just don't mix with water and detergent. Velvet, leather, suede, embroidery, or clothes that sparkle? Those need to be cleaned professionally. And Sydney says dry cleaners know what solvents to use on different fabrics and have special equipment to keep clothes from shrinking. But Ella Harry says there is some wiggle room. Honestly, I think it is a cash grab because a lot of the things that people dry clean can really be like taken care of in other ways. Like it doesn't have to be dry cleaned. Ella is an Edmonton fashion stylist, so she's invested a lot in her wardrobe. But that doesn't mean she sends everything to the dry cleaner. For example, silk is one of those things that people are like, oh, you should dry clean that just so it stays silky or like whatever. But if you were to put that um, in the washer with like the delicate setting or hand wash that, like you would be able to get away with still having that piece of clothing for as long as possible. Ella follows the same routine for cashmere sweaters and wool blazers and coats. Gentle wash, then lay them flat to dry. Never in the dryer. When in doubt, remember this. If the label says dry clean... That is your recommended way for you to take care of those clothes. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to... But if the tag says dry clean only, do not, absolutely do not wash by yourself. It is dry clean. She learned that the hard way. I had this puffer. It was perfect for like fall or spring. And I would wear this like a uniform. Like I would wear this all the time. When Ella spilled an iced skinny mocha all over her favorite puffer coat, she forgot to check the label threw it in the wash and oh it it looked horrible and let me just tell you I couldn't sleep I couldn't sleep for days because I was distraught so that was heartbreaking so please please don't be like me for the cost of living where we always read the labels I'm Danielle Nerman
Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Our next question is for anyone who collects rewards points and also wants to use them. Hi, I'm Malcolm from Red Deer, Alberta. I recently signed up for the Aeroplan points program through my TD credit card. Based on their website and some Googling around, the points seem to be worth between 1.5 and 2 cents each, or so I thought. When I tried booking tickets from Calgary to Toronto this summer, the price per point turned out to be about 0.05 cents each. I'd love to know why my points weren't worth as much as advertised. So Jennifer Keene, you spend all this money, you collect all these points, and then you just want to use those points to go somewhere. I know, but your big dreams, they end up crushed on the runway, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) And Malcolm, he doesn't want to be crushed. He just wants to know why. I think we all want to know why this happens. But trying to figure out airline pricing is not easy. I looked up what it would cost to fly Air Canada one way from Calgary to Toronto this week. Depending on which flight you choose, the price for an economy class ticket could cost you just over $300, or it could cost you just over $2,000. So the difference is like $1,700 for basically the same seat? Yes. This is in part because airlines use dynamic pricing. Prices for airline tickets go up and down depending on where, when, how you want to fly. And in the same way, the value of your aeroplan points, how many of them you'll need, will also go up and down. Patrick Soika runs a points website called Rewards Canada. The, the amount of points that you're going to charge for a flight um, varies based on the price of the flight, how busy a flight is. So if you're, if you're flying during a long weekend, like spring break, during summer when prices are higher for tickets, uh, cash prices, that is what I mean, um, you're going to be paying more in terms of points as well. And then sometimes that, 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 the amount of more points that they're charging will bring down the value of your actual like per point value. Okay, but then what about this promise that Malcolm mentions, that Aeroplan points should be valued around one and a half to two cents each? Normally, that is the case, but, you know, Aeroplan doesn't really frame it that way on its website. If you go there, you'll see a chart that tells you how many points you need to fly, not not how much the points are worth. It says to fly domestic, you could need between 12,000 points to 17,000 points. But even then, those numbers aren't set in stone. Yeah, again, it's kind of for benchmark. It's kind of, you know, give me an idea of roughly what you'll need. And the way Aeroplan explained it when they launched the new program in uh, November, is it 2020? Yeah, 2020 now. They said that roughly about 80% of seats will fall into that range. And 20% can fall even lower than that or higher than that. So it's kind of Aeroplan saying, hey, here at Aeroplan, 80% of the time your points might be worth this much. Maybe. (laughs) The 80% guarantee, Paul. According to Patrick... 
Aeroplan really works best for people who fly a lot. If you can use your points to fly business or first class, they could be worth as much as six cents each. Yeah, but then at the same time, that ticket is also going to be way more expensive. And you'll have to use more points. Okay, but what about what Malcolm's doing here? He just wants to use his points for a regular flight, something like Calgary to Toronto economy. Why would his points be worth less? I think it could be all about when he wanted to fly. When he told me his dates, it turns out he had to fly home on the Sunday of a long weekend. Of course, that's really busy. Yeah, and, and you know, and that's when the prices are going to be higher. So it's going to require more points. And here's also what Patrick told me. He says it really pays to be flexible when you're an Aeroplan member. If you can't be, other points programs might actually be a better option for you. If you're somebody who's kind of set, you know, you have young kids and you're, you can only travel during spring break, you can only travel during summer, you can only travel during Christmas, those are the expensive times, you may be better off with kind of these set rate programs like like your Scene Pluses, your American Express Membership Rewards, CIBC Aventura. There's so many out there, um, especially if you're traveling economy class. Those programs actually sometimes tend to be better because you know what you're getting and you can you have, you know, the, the pick of the litter. So you may want to look around and find a points program that works a bit better for you. If not, if you're going to hold on to your Aeroplan card, Aeroplan itself had a tip. They suggest try booking one way with points only and then booking a second one way paying cash just for the return flight. And sometimes that will get you better value for your points. In the end, if Air Canada isn't offering the deal that you want, don't take it. Don't use your points. Hold on to them and wait for a better deal. Because 80% of the time, that maybe might kind of could happen. (laughs) That's right. Thanks, Jen. Thank you. Happy New Year. This is a best of edition of The Cost of Living. I'm Paul Habertrude. Our last question today is about something you may be tired of hearing about, only it may not be done with us. Hi, this is Harry Johnston from Halifax, and I'm wondering about inflation. I'm hearing that inflation is going down, but if that's happening, why doesn't it feel like it's cooling off? Yeah, when you're checking out at the grocery store, it doesn't necessarily feel like inflation is back to normal, but it is down. If you look back to last summer, June 2022, it peaked at 8.1%. Now it's dropped to around 3%, and that's good news. So why doesn't it always feel that way? Prices are still going up. They're just not going up as quickly. Right. Stuff is still getting more expensive. Thanks, Trevor. Trevor Toome is an economist at the University of Calgary, and he says it may seem like inflation has been around for a while, but really, it hasn't. 85% of what we buy has jumped up in price in just the last few years, and that is still jarring, especially when it's stuff we buy all the time. Things that we purchase frequently, for example, groceries, uh, or things where the price is something that we see every day, even if we don't buy it, like gasoline, for example. We drive by and see that price quoted in big glowing letters on a 
pretty regular basis. Uh, and so if you look at food, that's something where price increases were not only faster than the overall pace, but are still, you know, they haven't come down as quickly. And so those price increases, because they loom large in our mind, is something that you know might drive consumer sentiment more than price changes of goods that we you know, maybe purchase infrequently. Food prices can really influence how we feel, and they're still going up fast. But higher prices are only half the story here. The other half is how much money we have to spend. For decades, prices rose around the same amount every year, about 2%. And so did our paychecks. Now that prices have ratcheted up to a new level, it's a real financial setback. One way to think about it is if, if all prices were to be frozen, just instantly and magically frozen at today's level, how long would it take for us to get back to kind of the normal price path, the one that gradually keeps increasing by just 2% a year? Well, it would take a little over three years uh, for us to get back to that path. And so we've deviated pretty significantly from the trajectory of price levels that we were previously on. That means the dollars that we earn can purchase fewer goods and services, right? It's stretching our incomes. And just because things aren't getting worse as quickly as they were back in 2022, it uh, doesn't mean that uh, the affordability challenge is solved. It's like prices have jumped ahead to 2026, but what hasn't jumped ahead as quickly? how much money we make. Historically, wages in Canada have gone up faster than inflation, by about 1% a year. So if we were to get back to that pace, how long would it take for us to claw back the ground we've lost? Uh, about six to seven years. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so, so quite some time. I mean, think about the, the magnitudes here. We have a, uh, an increase in price levels of about 6% above where we would have been. And if you're increasing your real purchasing power by 1% per year, it takes a while to accumulate the, the, the amount that we compensate for that gap. We're in a hole. It could take a long time to climb out. If we made more money, we'd probably start feeling better about things. But it's not like we can just snap our fingers and do that. And in the meantime... I actually am of the view that it's going to take some time and, and it will take years to get back to the previous path that we were on. This, this affordability challenge that we've been talking about in Canada, I think it, it's going to remain this, this top of mind issue for some time to come. You're poorer than you think. Yeah, I doubt Scotia is jumping to use that one in their next commercial. But the better news is inflation really is going down. And wages are going up. If things keep going like that, life could start feeling just a bit more affordable again. If you have a question about business or economics that's keeping you up at night, please send it our way. We'll do our best to find you an answer. Our number is 1-866-550-COST. That's 
1-800-926-2678 or email costofliving at cbc.ca. Happy New Year to everyone. Can't wait to talk to you in 2024. The Cost of Living is produced by Daniel Nerman, Ellis Cho, and Jennifer Keene, with help from Caroline the Fighting Kangaroo Ferris. Our executive producer is Tracy Johnson. I'm Paul Havertrude. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.